The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Let me talk to you guys for a minute about injury stashes. I figure we've got a couple extra moments on today's podcast. It was just a quick little three-gamer. I already forgot what day it is. Today's Wednesday. Yesterday, Tuesday night, was just a a quick little three-gamer. Very little fantasy stuff that we're going to be able to peel apart from it. So I feel like now that we're four weeks into the season, four full weeks now, we are officially at that point, It's time to get into some of the in-season strategic decisions that we make for our fantasy teams. And here, herein, lies the importance of getting off to a quick start. Because one month into the season now, there are going to start to be injured guys that are dropped by teams that are struggling... Or injured guys that teams had to start the year that ultimately they couldn't hang on to long enough. Guys that came into the season hurt. But if you got off to a good start in your league, you now have the upper hand on some of these situations. Now, I can't tell you specifically what your team should be doing. If you're in first place and you feel really comfortable you probably have a little bit more leeway than, say, a sixth-place team that is teetering and maybe is built in a punt build that you know it's going to be tougher to get, 6-3 to three or 7-2 head-to-head wins or something like that. This is a little bit less about Roto other than, like, if you're in a games cap league, you should be able to stash guys, sort of. And I would never recommend using a stash spot to start the season until you basically have like nine reliable dudes on your team. It's why I, w- I, I kind of felt last season, not even this season, last season I felt okay with like Kemba at 100 last year. Because by that point I already had probably eight viable starters on my team. And I thought, all right, you know what, if I don't get my ninth starter right away and I make my odds of getting a ninth starter a little bit tougher... I want to say starter, I basically mean someone inside the top 100 for a Roto Games Cap format to get a guy who, at least given his role in Boston, was pretty much a lock to be better than his ADP on a per-game basis. Now, that was never going to work in a head-to-head format. On the head-to-head side, which is where I want to focus most of this, call it a rant, discussion, whatever, it's a much more tenuous journey because zeros kill you. And that's kind of where this whole discussion has to begin. The way to get off to a quick start in a head-to-head league is basically to have a healthy team to start the year. Think about it. Think about how many guys are hurt already. Just go go to your specific fantasy team, any of them. I don't I truly don't care which one. And just count how many guys are day-to-day or actually out, or whatever. 
whatever. It doesn't matter. Just like take one quick look at a team of 13 guys. You probably have at least two that are hurt in some capacity. And if you don't, well, you're on cruise control at that point. You're probably winning. It's not a guarantee. Nothing in life is guaranteed. But it ain't far. Like, try to find a team. I don't know how many teams you guys have. I have too many. I have like 13 teams going this year. Try to find one that doesn't have a couple guys out. The, the, reason, the point I'm trying to make there is with just a healthy roster on a head-to-head team, you probably have a couple game advantage on your opponent without doing anything else at all. Again, not a guarantee, but probably. So by doing that at the start of the season, hopefully you've gotten off to at least a decent start. And that now opens up the world of stashing to you. The available players right now is not exactly a who's who of, of game breakers that are probably on the waiver wire. I think you, maybe you'll see Brooke Lopez getting dumped in some spots because he's just been out and we have no idea when he's coming back. Uh, Evan Mobley was ruled out for probably closer to four weeks, but nobody's dropping him. Matisse Thibault's been out for a while. He probably got dumped and still no uh, real sign of Ben Simmons. So maybe there's an avenue there. Could Lowry Markinen have gotten dropped? I don't know. I doubt Jakob Pertl got dumped. So again, you know, this isn't exactly a monster list, but guys like P.J. Washington, who were starting to ramp up before he got hurt, Kelly Olynyk, who's going to be out for a while and actually looked really good the one or two games before he went down, the guys that haven't played at all so far this year, Clay Thompson is certainly on that list. TJ Warren is on that list. Michael Porter Jr., who's obviously been horrendous, but we don't really know what his deal is. He's not getting dropped, but you know that would be like a buy low stash kind of thing for some of these guys that, again, someone's probably not parting with them, but maybe they're frustrated in some capacity. Nikola Vucevic out with COVID. He's been frustrating so far, and it's dropping his value a little bit further. If you have a relatively definite timeline on a guy, and it's only like a week, it doesn't count. But let's just quickly get into some of the specifics on how to stash players, and even more importantly, when to stash players. So again, from the should I or shouldn't I, you know that. I can't speak to your team, but if you're running away with a league, you probably can. If you're not, you probably couldn't. You probably should not. The general rule is, and you guys know that I try to tailor this podcast a little bit more towards competitive 12-team leagues. That's how I rank my guys. Meaning I'm pretty much targeting dudes that are inside the top 105 or so. And if you can get them inside the top 95, even better. Those are guys that you want rolling for your Roto Games Cap team. You definitely want those guys for your head-to-head team. And then with head-to-head, there's a little bit more of a stretch to what you can throw into your lineup if someone has a lot of games, things of that nature. Like you could play a top 125 guy if they have a four-game week. That's fine. Weekly, head, daily, whatever. The rule is this. In a competitive league, if a player is going to be out 
basically, okay, here's an, easy, here's an easier way to, to think about it. It's basically, it's kind of like a T-minus sort of game. T-minus X until a player comes back. How far in advance of a player's return should I consider stashing them? A top 50 player is probably going to require six weeks of stashing or more. It might even be eight. Those guys probably aren't available right now. We're not at that part of the season where teams are abandoning ship. No one feels like they've been completely wiped out, but we're not that far away from it. You'll start to see that happen in December where teams are like, crap, I have too many injured guys and I'm in ninth place. If I don't drop one of these dudes, I got no shot. And so then someone tight pops up on the waiver wire. If you're in a league with like three IL slots, maybe this doesn't happen as regularly, but that's also, I I don't think you need that many. There should be some tough decisions if you have a bunch of injured guys. You shouldn't just be having an unlimited injured number of players. I don't like that from a uh, strategic standpoint. So if you're in a league with like three, four, five IL slots, just whatever. Fast forward to our Tuesday recap, I guess. So if a player is expected to be inside the top 50, you're probably going to have to dash them six to eight, eight weeks before they return from whatever their injury might be. It's sort of the phenomenon of Clay Thompson. He's expected to be inside the top 50. People knew he wasn't going to be back for at least two months after the year started, and yet he still got drafted pretty regularly between 100 and 150. Teams were more than willing to just squat on that until Christmas. That's a hard pill to swallow, man. You can't have anybody else getting hurt on your team if you've got someone stashed for two months. That's a lot of weeks to try to dodge the injury bug. It's pretty much impossible. If you're looking to stash somebody who's more like a top 75 player, you're probably looking about a month out. TJ Warren, probably a better example of that. If we find out that Warren is about a month away, that's the time to grab him. And if you're talking about somebody who's more like a top 100 or better, which, again, sometimes you can find these guys on the waiver wire anyway, so I, I don't know that I would go too far out on a limb, but if it's someone who we can reliably call a top 100, someone who might even inch up towards the top 90, that's more like a two-week stash. Those don't take that much. They're also more prevalent because those guys feel very replaceable, even though at the end of the day, when you get to that last day of the season and you look at the full rank board, the guys ranked around 90 are actually usually pretty reliable, and I, I would venture to say significantly more useful for your fantasy team than the guys even 20 slots later. And if you look at last year, a pretty good example of that is our buddy Dorian Finney-Smith, who we joke about trying to get to top 90. He was 114 last year. Really, like, very bland fantasy season. He was 114. 20 slots earlier? Marcus Smart, Miles Bridges, Derek White, Jakob Pertl. Those guys were in the 90s. Those are good names. Wiggins was 87. Jared Allen was 86. Brooke Lopez, 85. Thomas Bryant was 98 before he went down. Colin Sexton, who everybody loves more than life itself, was 99 last year. Ben Simmons, 100. There's actually a pretty marked difference between the 90 to 100 crew and the 110 to 120 crew. Justin Holiday was 119 last year. Kelly Oubre, while peeing down his leg with the Warriors, was 122 last year. Serge Ibaka was 124. These are not startable fantasy guys for the most part, but 20 slots earlier, they are. 
So that's why when I say, look, if you're going to try to stash a top 100 guy, it really doesn't mean the number 100 guy, but I'm talking about guys between 190, basically. Or even in this case, guys between 175. You're going to need to put probably two to three weeks of airtime under those dudes. That's a rough estimate, but the reason that I bring you those numbers is not because there's some kind of dues you have to pay on them. It's not like this antiquated concept of, like, you're doing this so that you earn the stash. The reason I'm telling you this is because in a competitive league, that's when other people start to think about it. If you're in a non-competitive league, which is probably not the right term for it, call it a casual league. Casual. I don't know which one of those is less offensive. Because if you're in a casual league, do you know you're in a casual league? Here's how you'll know. If you're in a casual league and Clay Thompson doesn't get stashed until like three weeks before his expected return, that's a casual league. Three years ago when Jonas Valanciunas went down for six, seven weeks on a busted ankle, if he got picked up three weeks before he came back, you're in a casual league. If he got picked up six weeks before he came back, you're in a competitive league. And that's the way you need to think about this stuff. Think about it from a perspective of what are other people thinking in my league if you wait until a strict timeline emerges for these types of players you've waited too long you need to be grabbing these types of stashes and again i don't know that we need to do it right now because we're only four weeks into the season i brought it up because we're getting close to when you start to see guys getting dropped because they're hurt we're close. We're not there yet. I just I want to stay ahead of the curve on this. But I want you guys to play this game in your mind. Close your eyes while you're listening to the podcast and just briefly, and I'll, I'll try to speak very slowly here, which you guys are all listening on one and a half speed anyway, so I got to really drop it down in tempo just for a moment. Close your eyes and think of a player this year that's hurt right now. And I gave some of these names earlier in the show. Brooke Lopez, Jakob Pertl, COVID does count. Thomas Bryant, when will he come back? Clay Thompson, Victor Oladipo, Ben Simmons, TJ Warren, Jonathan Isaac, who somehow I forgot to mention earlier in the show. Think about any of those players. And then try to think of the last time you considered their timeline. Is it something you think about regularly? I doubt it for most of them. Jonathan Isaac. Has any, any of us thought about Jonathan Isaac at all? Thing is, he was probably drafted because none of us thought he was just going to be out forever. So he's not a great example for this particular game we're playing. But... I think maybe someone like Brooke Lopez or TJ Warren makes more sense. I don't have particularly high hopes for Warren. I assume he's wildly out of shape after being on a busted foot for now 11 months. Ten and a half months? Ten and a half months. But just think. Like, a week and a half ago, we got a rough timeline. He's out of the boot. They're hoping that he'll ramp up here over the next couple of weeks, and then maybe there's an opportunity to get him into a ball game. And then he probably got picked up. I'd actually be really curious. I'm going to check while we're playing this little Dan Talks slowly and softly game. 
How many spots is TJ Warren still available? He's 32% rostered right now. He's available about half of my money leagues. About half. Which tells you we're more or less on his inflection point. By the way, we actually did get a report on Warren today. So, uh, it's not the... Uh, no, sorry. That was a, a three days ago? Three days ago that he's expected to return in late December or January. So maybe this one isn't the greatest example either, but we're going to roll with it. Because when he got out of his boot, uh, there was this fleeting notion that like maybe he'd get in there in the next three or four weeks. Now it seems like it's going to be more like an additional six. So there you go. He's someone that's probably expected, at when at full tilt, to be in that 75 range if we're lucky i I mean i think it's going to take him time to actually get his rhythm and get his conditioning and all that stuff uh so i would i would hunt more for like the 80 to 100 range on him but if the consensus in the community is that he's someone that could maybe get into the 75 range four weeks that's your marker how do i know this i've just seen it i've seen it a thousand times at this point Guys that are expected to be in that 75 range, they just get picked up a month ahead of time. Guys that are expected to be in the 50 range, they just get picked up at six weeks out or just under that. So your goal in this needlessly long dive into stashing is to stay one day ahead of everybody else. And that's how you do it. Think about the guys that are hurt and think about the last time you heard anything about them. And think, is it coming down the pike? Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I'm Dan Bespris. This is a hoopball presentation. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Thanks again to everybody that continues to listen to the podcast through all these years, our ups and downs, our fights, our struggles, our fantasy battles. Uh, I thank you to everybody that continues to leave ratings and reviews on the pod. We didn't get one over the last day, so I got nothing else to add to the mix. But please do, if you have a second... Rate and review uh, podcast app on your mobile device or iTunes on a computer. And if you've done it already and you're thinking, man, I'd really like to do one more thing for Dan, just turn to the person next to you. Presumably in this COVID era, there might be one other person you get to see and steal their phone. (laughs) Just take it. Just take it. They won't miss it. I promise you. Nobody really needs their phone these days anyway. And then go and rate and review the pod on that one. And uh, we can all have a good laugh together when a review comes up from someone who uh, perhaps hasn't listened to the show before. <laughs> no, but also subscribe when you steal their phone. We'll, we'll knock out both at the same time. Thank you to mybookie.ag for their continued support of all things we do here at HoopBall. Sign up for a new account using promo code HoopBall. That's easy. H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L at mybookie.ag. You bet you win. They pay. And of course... I got a new swag pack from my buddies over at manscaped.com. I didn't have to use promo code HoopBall20 because I am cool. But you get to, and then you can feel cool. Or really, I guess, cold as the breeze hits your freshly groomed skin. uh, Manscaped.com is the website. Promo code is HoopBall20. Get 20% off and free shipping on whatever you bring home for the holidays. Black Friday coming up. Lots of good stuff going on over there. So thank you to both of our Corporate sponsors here on Fantasy NBA Today. That's mybookie.ag and manscaped.com. Get yourself a pair of their boxers, man. That's the way to go. Get that Manscaped swag. Walk through the community confidently 
preferably with pants on around them. But, you know, you do what you got to do. And then, you know, consequences. Pshish! Consequences. Golden State blasted the Brooklyn Nets 117-99. to My free play on uh, the hoop ball gaming side was the under in that ball game. I have no idea how we managed to hit that under because that ball game was at 121 at halftime. So they only had 101 points of wiggle room. And they put up, I think, 53 in the third quarter. So we only had like 40... I've, I've screwed up the math here already because I don't know the exact numbers on it, but I believe that after three quarters... They were at like 175-ish. So we had under 50 points to work with, and then they combined for like low 40s in the fourth quarter. So we uh, squeaked out a winner on the under. I've hit my last two freebies in a row with the Celtics the previous day, which means I'm back on the clock here on this big Wednesday. I'll try to make it three in a row for you guys. You got to go follow at Gaming though. That's where those free plays get tweeted out from, not from my account. Although I might re- uh, I'll probably retweet it, uh, but that's over at Gaming. Suffice to say, my thought was the Golden State Warriors defense is really awesome, and people are not fully comprehending how very, very good they are on the defensive side. It all starts with Draymond Green. His steals and blocks aren't necessarily where we need them to be so far, but they're on the way, and that's the important part. They're very slowly working their way up, and perhaps most importantly, he's just not taking free throws anymore. So every game... His average number of free throws per game goes down. And even though he's stuck at 53% right now, his free throw attempts per game over the last couple weeks have dropped from like 4.2 to 2.3. So that becomes a less powerful negative drag. And as a result, he's now at number 107 on the year. I mean, really, if you just pull out the free throw nonsensory which it's so dumb. It doesn't make any sense. Draymond's number 62 if, if his free throws just become a neutral number, which is basically where they've been the last couple of years, uh, with room to improve because his steals and blocks aren't as high as we'd expect them to be anyway. Andrew Wiggins at 19 points. He's just not doing the other stuff so far this year. I know he was fine in this ballgame. I don't have any massive issues with him, but he's still at number 98. Uh... And he should be better because the, the job is going to get, not that his shots will probably get easier when Clay Thompson comes back, but he's just not taking that many shots right now. It's odd. Whatever. James Harden was uh, good enough on the Brooklyn side as uh, a team that really didn't have particularly strong performances tonight. Bruce Brown was good, but we can't trust him. Patty Mills filling in for Joe Harris seemed like it should have been a better opportunity for him. But again, that Warriors defense is just log jamming teams. And LaMarcus Aldridge got nine minutes because they were worried he was going to get roasted, and so they didn't play him, and everybody else got roasted instead. I knew I should have been skeptical, and I was for so long, but then he kept being decent. Curse you for teasing me, LaMarcus. I do think you can stream Patty Mills, by the way, for as long as Joe Harris is out, which I don't think is going to be all that long, but long enough to where this is an ad you could use, and it'll probably last you, I don't know, the better part of a week, if not a whole... A whole week. I've stopped making fun of uh, Nemanja Bialica on the podcast. I just think it's so funny how hyped he was and, and what a small role he actually needs to play with that team. Uh, Utah, Philadelphia, the Zombie Sixers, by the way, on the on the news front, I suppose maybe that's more useful here than even breaking down what you got out of the 76ers. It sounds like 
Joel Embiid has not yet cleared protocols. I don't, uh, Doc Rivers was speaking on the matter. He said Matisse Thibel's just trying to figure out the day he can get back. So he's close now. Uh, but Embiid, it sounds like, does not yet have two negative tests under his belt. So keep rolling along with Andre Drummond. He'll be great as long as Embiid is out. Uh, on the Thibel front, with Danny Green hurt and sort of out, we don't know exactly how long with the hamstring stuff, if Thibel has his wind when he comes back, he would probably drop into the starting small forward spot and Shake Milton then would likely move back to the bench. And you got to think that Thibel can kind of pick up where he left off, which was actually in the 50s with four combined steals and blocks. And who knows, maybe he even tries to do a little bit more. Uh, if he got dropped, which I'd say it's conceivable that he did in some spots because it is a weird fantasy player getting all of his value from the defensive side of the ball, this would probably be the time to grab it. This is what we're talking about. He's like a top 75 streamer level guy who may have gotten kicked to the curb when someone just kind of got a little bit frustrated with him. Otherwise, this ball game was uh, generally kind of a mess. Got out of hand quickly. No one had to play all that many minutes on either side, although a few Sixers did rack up a few. Shake Milton played 35, and he'd probably take a pretty good knock. As that team gets healthy, uh, whenever that might turn out to be, nothing of note on the Utah side. As usual, Boyan Bogdanovich, I guess, would be the only footnote there. He had a nice ball game, efficient. That pushed him actually back inside the top 100 and my guess is he'll bounce around between 85 and 120 for pretty much the entirety of the season. But it is good to see him feeling a little bit better this year. He just was never quite right last season. And him playing better has kind of pushed Joe Ingles to full afterthought so far this year. Last game on the docket, uh, also a pretty good lead for the Clippers most of the way through. They did They had to play a few of their starters full minutes. This one wasn't true blowout stuff uh our buddy nick batum only got 14 minutes in this game he he left during halftime briefly they listed achilles soreness as an issue going on with him so a lot of people and this could actually work in our favor if we play our cards right meaning look we have batum pretty much everywhere and this is a ball game that kicks you right in the groin there's nothing worse than a guy starting a game and just never really getting into it and then being hurt partway through. That's the worst. Sitting it out, because at least for Games Cap Roto, you sit it out, you, it doesn't count against you. This counts against you, and he basically got you nothing. So this is effectively, at least for Roto, this is the worst thing that could happen. But people that only look at a box score and don't look at the story might think, oh no, Batum's been supplanted by Amir Coffey and Luke Kennard. This is not the case. When he's healthy, as we've seen recently, he plays. So he's not healthy right now. If you'd like, in Roto, put him on your bench for a game or two, wait for him to get right. Maybe he even sits a game out. I don't know what's going to come up for Batum, but this also explains why his activity had actually been down a little bit. Still, this is a guy that before this little Achilles thing cropped up, he was rolling in the third round for effectively three weeks, guys. That's actually not really fluky anymore. So give him some space. I mean, if you saw this as an official injury, he's playing through it, which makes it worse. If he had sat the game out, then everybody would be like, oh, well, he's hurt. So this is one that 
Maybe somebody drops him out there that didn't realize what was going on and thinks he's lost his job. He hasn't. Paul George, another big ball game, but we don't really care that much about the, the guys that are 100% rostered and started in fantasy. Kind of the same story on the DeJounte Murray front. Derek White, 19-3-3 with a steal and a three-pointer. We've been waiting for him to start to get that shot to come around. Perhaps, perhaps this is the start of something. We'll see. He's still hanging around just outside the top 100, shooting about 40% on the year, and his free throw number is down. I mean, all that stuff comes up. Field goal percent comes up, then everything comes with it. I, I just don't see any reason why he shouldn't push into the 75 range as his shot comes around, because he does the other stuff. He gets you some assists, steals, he gets blocks from the guard position, which is sweet. But you guys don't care about that. By the way, Jakob Pertl apparently coming back pretty soon, so the Thad Young run probably also coming to a close. On the Clippers side, three, actually, other notes I wanted to make mention of on this pod. Reggie Jackson, 21-6-4, two blocks, five three-pointers. Yeah, he shot 36% on 22 shots in the ballgame, and his field goal percent continues to drag everything down. But he took 17 three-point attempts in this ballgame. He only made five of them. Which, yeah, you know, not great. But, I mean, you got to like a guy taking 17 three-point attempts in a ball game. You can shoot pretty terribly, and you can float your value with that stuff. He's another guy who's hanging around, like, right around the top 100. And another guy who, much like Derek White, Reggie Jackson shooting 38 and change percent. If that just gets into the low 40s, he vaults 25 slots forward, too. I don't know that you can call him by lows really white, probably more than Reggie, just because of where White was probably drafted near 75 or 80. Jackson was probably drafted more like 125. So, you know, one guy, there's an expectation. The other guy, there's, it, you call it more of a surprise. But if you can go get him, I think you could, or should even. Eric Bledsoe, 11 points, 6 boards, 3 steals, no assists in this ballgame because generally besides Paul George, Clippers were having some trouble hitting buckets, so assists were a uh, tad tough to come by. They only had 16 as a team in the contest. But for Bledsoe, he, he's been on a nice run here lately. You can throw this one into that mix as well. Continues to pile up steals like they're going out of style, which, you know, he's not alone in that regard. A lot of guys have are putting up career steals marks but over the last eight games Bledsoe is averaging 30 minutes a night 12 and a half points four and a half boards four and a half assists two and a half uh 2.2 excuse me combined defensive stats and about one and a half three pointers that's good enough for a top 65 clip over that run so he should continue to be started and then a guy I've picked on a little bit in the past but is on a nice run too is Ivica Zubats he's played 28 minutes a game over the last two weeks which again you talk about guys that are sort of breathing down other people's necks. The fact that the other two centers the Clippers were planning on using at any clip this year are gone, that Serge Ibaka and Marcus Morris are both out right now, they may not be back for a while yet. We really don't know. So there's kind of a streamer with benefits thing going on with Zubots where, you know, maybe this thing lasts a long time. Yeah, Isaiah Hartenstein's floating around, but he's not about to take his job. Worst case scenario is a timeshare right now. And for Zoo, he's also been inside the top 70 over those two weeks because of the very high minutes count. It kind of takes me back. 
You remember there was a stretch last year right when Ibaka went down with his back thing. We talked about Zubats for about three weeks straight on the pod, looking at him like, okay, come on, dude. Just get up to 25 minutes a game. Just get to that mark and you can be a top 90 guy. Because of field goal percent, because of rebounding. He's not a big-time shot blocker, but he's also not a bad foul shooter. So he can get you that 10-10 and double-double with good percentages and eh, defensive stats, but enough just from being on the floor where his, his fantasy value is a little bit linear. It doesn't level off the way that some guys might because he's not a high usage dude, so put him out there and it'll just sort of slowly accrue. Give him an extra two or three minutes, you'll get another rebound or two. It's not like some of those high-energy big men that come off the bench and go big for 20 minutes, but if you played them for 30, they just run out of gas at 22. Zubats can do more of the same, and so we were always watching for that. Could he get to that 24-minute mark, which would put him inside the top 100, and then every minute over that, he can climb another half-round, two-thirds of a round, whatever it might be, and you're seeing that right now. In 28 minutes a game, that pushes him into sort of a sixth-round valuation. I do think that number comes back towards 24 if either Marcus Morris or Serge Ibaka comes back. I don't think expect, we can expect both to play because Serge seems like his back is just broken and it seems like Marcus Morris's knee is just broken. So I, I don't know what the deal is on either of those dudes. Someone will come back eventually this year, but until that time, Zubats is worth using. And it, really, there should probably be a mea culpa on my part for not pointing it out five days ago. Because the minutes have been trending up for two weeks now. And they're kind of peaking currently. I want to continue to do our homework part of the podcast on social media. So if you could, continue to follow me over there at Dan Bespers. we got a big Wednesday coming up. What are we at? 11 games again? They are really packing in the Wednesdays. I guess we're back to a nice, traditional, full-season schedule. Whole damn year, we got big Wednesdays again. Which, I don't know. I don't miss anything about the era of the bubble, but I do miss that there were games starting at about 11 a.m. Pacific time, and there were never more than about seven or eight games in a day because they just didn't have enough courts to play more than that. So we had the same... I know you, you guys are probably learning things about my personality by this particular discussion. Oh, Dan doesn't like when things have variants. He likes everything to be just so. Give me seven or eight basketball games every single day. I can settle into a nice rhythm, a nice routine. The podcast content, I know how long it's going to take me to recap. And then they go back to normal on me and I got to come up with a 15-minute rant at the front end of these short box score days. But anyway, uh, big Wednesday card. We'll talk about that over on social media later today. Uh, and I hope you guys will follow me in that direction. Got a few um, applications, I should say, for the HoopBall Gaming Today in Sports Betting podcast host gig. This is your last call. If you want to host a sports betting podcast that already exists and has a built-in following, fairly rabid one, mind you, hit me up. Again, that's at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll put a pin in this one. Back with you tomorrow at some point. I really don't know when. My schedule is a little goofball this week, but we'll get it out to you. You know, the Iron Man streak. We're not, we're not letting the, not letting that thing fall by the wayside. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. So long.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.